This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our personal and professional lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. I'm back, and I'm fresh from a trip to Nashville, a little vacation I had an amazing experience. I don't think we had a bad meal the entire week that my husband and I were there. We took great hikes and some gorgeous green trails. That was definitely a highlight. We spent plenty of time in the downtown honky tonks, explored 12 South and Germantown and the Gulch, as well as getting out to the country, Leapers Fork, Franklin, visited some friends, had just a great time. Well, today we're going to meet Richard Newman, founder of Body Talk, which is a communications consultancy and training organization. They have worked with 100,000 people globally on business communications techniques. Richard's research has been published in the Journal of Psychology, where he says he has proven that with some simple behavioral changes, you can increase your leadership ability by 44%. It's a very specific number. We'll talk about that in our interview. He also tells the story in his book, You Were Born to Speak, about a painfully shy childhood and how he struggled to make friends, which led him on a path of discovery and communication techniques, which took him to Tibet, an acting school in London, to stages around the world. And before we get to communication to improve leadership and business, we also have a really interesting discussion on social communication and how many of us have lost some of that ability during the pandemic. Communication is something we're working on right out of the womb. Babies use nonverbal communication for many months before they're able to speak. And I recall my four-year-old daughter approach a group of other little girls. I was watching her and I could see her strategizing on how best to break into the group, who to communicate to first and how to introduce herself. And then there is the communication we do to present our ideas to the world. Richard is ready to do that now for us. Richard Newman joins me now, the founder of Body Talk, author of You Were Born to Speak. Richard, thank you so much. I've been excited to get you on the show. I've been listening to you on other podcasts. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you, Christina. Great to be on your show. Wonderful. Um, you know, I um, communication is, has been my lifelong work as well, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you about some of your methods and discoveries. I'd like to start the discussion, though, with what you think makes a powerful communicator and have we lost some of these skills during the pandemic? Yes. So uh, lots to get into there straight away. I'll begin by saying that uh, Jim Carrey was once quoted as saying that constantly talking is not necessarily communicating. So sometimes if people are listening to this thinking, what is it that makes a great communicator? Some people may come to mind who perhaps enjoy the sound of their own voice, but they're not necessarily connecting with the people around them. They are confident at communicating, but they're not really making that connection. And so when it comes to communication, uh, the big thing that I learned early on, a lot of my um, training started off in the world of acting. So I, I studied at a London acting school for three years. Uh, and the place that I studied was the only place uh, that was uh, a more well-established, more effective drama school in the UK than RADA. So a lot of people have heard of RADA. It's where people like Kenneth Branagh and other people like him came from. And uh, my acting school was the only place that was more effective at getting people employed as actors 
than there. Uh, and so when I was there, I was studying acting in terms of they, they taught you how to sit, how to stand, how to breathe, how to move, how to walk. Uh, and all of those things are things I thought I could do before I went there for the acting training. But they said, look, now we're teaching you these things so that when you bring a character to, to life, people really understand the story. They care about you. They care about the message. They remember the message uh, and they feel something. So they may feel shock. They may feel horror. They may feel surprise. They may, may feel like bursting uh, out in tears or bursting into laughter. And so you're learning how to emote through these words. Uh, and so I've really carried that with me since that I found that in the world of show business, people are very good at doing that. We, we turn on the TV, we go to the movies because we want someone who is going to be effective at communicating in that way. And when you go away from show business to the ordinary world of business, day-to-day -day business that we do at work, uh, then a lot of that expression gets forgotten. So if I was to give people really one simple tip to think about, about what makes a powerful communicator from that, it comes down to congruency. Congruency, what is that? It means that your body language, your tone of voice, and your words are all heading in the same direction. And if you've got visual aids and flip charts and other things you're using for business communication, again, all of those things need to head in one direction. And when you do that, when you, when you see a powerful communicator, that's really what they're doing. Every ounce of their energy, all of every cell of their body is heading in one direction and you can feel the power that they're generating towards their message, which impacts you so much through that level of, uh, of congruency. You know, as I as I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about actors um, as you were. Um, I was a um, an anchor woman, a presenter uh, for many years, mm. two decades, and there was a certain kind of communication we would do there. To you know, you're talking to a teleprompter, uh, you're trying to break through the glass, reach the people on the other side, and that's one kind of communication. But I also think about the kind of interpersonal communication that happens when we're kids. I know you had a very shy uh, childhood. You were painfully shy. I've watched my yeah. own daughter when she was four years old approach a group of children and watched her. I could see the gears in her head turning as she's trying to analyze, how do I get in here? How do I make connection yeah. and contact? I mean, talk to me about some of that interpersonal communication and the cues we get from other people. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's sort of to come back to your earlier point, too, you were mentioning, have we lost some of our skills of communication during the pandemic? I am a father of two young children. And uh, as so many parents, I've seen my kids spend, uh, in our case, in the UK, it was about a year where they weren't allowed to go to school to interact with their friends. And they're having to figure out how do I now communicate and connect with people through a screen, through doing sort of Zoom uh, lessons. And there is so much that goes on in the world of children of noticing other humans, picking up on, you know, what's working, what's not, and trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, build their social relationships. Uh, now, you know, from my perspective uh, early on, I, I didn't know until recently, but I have high functioning autism. And what that means is that those social cues that most people pick up on, so most people would be known as neurotypical. Most people then from an early age, they start to look at each other and notice, okay, how do I get involved here? If I say this, is that getting a good reaction? And they learn from each other. 
and you know, almost like a, a fish learning to swim. They're, they're, in, they're in the water and away they go and they're figuring these things out without having to consciously uh, work too hard. It just gradually builds uh, as a skill that they have. Uh, whereas I was on the other side of that realizing that nothing that I was doing was working and I really didn't know why. And it was almost like I, I was living in this glass bubble where nothing that I did was getting through to being able to build friendships and relationships. And I seemed to have awkward or strange or unusual behavior that other people didn't really understand or take well to. So, so I was a few years behind trying to figure out, okay, how do I make sure that my communication is, uh, is working? And so what I started to do, I mean, fr a friend of mine bought me a book, book on body language. Uh, and if anyone's struggling in this area, I encourage you go and find one of the books. There's many out there. Try and find something that's science-based. And uh, I started to look at that and thought, oh, wow, okay, there's actually a way in here. If you start to pick up on the non-verbal signals that are happening, you can build greater social relationships and that can work in your, in your working life, in your personal life. This can be uh, hugely beneficial. And when I mention body language, I'm aware that a lot of people tend to think, oh yeah, I've heard of body language. That's when if you scratch your nose, it means you're lying. Or if you fold your arms, it means you're being <laughs> defensive. And actually, it doesn't mean that. What we need to look at, if you really look at the science behind this, is to understand clusters of signals and create patterns which may head you in the right direction to a meaning, but there isn't one body language movement that means one thing in particular, unless it's something like thumbs up and thumbs down where we have cultural uh, signals. So it's really that, that non-verbal side uh, of things that people need to be thinking about and thinking about even more at the moment as we go away from that lockdown, homeworking mentality, back into being with people more face-to-face. -face. There's a sense of being slightly stiff and slightly awkward because now we're dealing with people from the shoulders down. We start to see all the other stuff that's going on rather than just what's happening on their, their facial expressions. So uh, yeah, people are somewhat out of practice and they need to be starting to brush up on that uh, to be effective as they get back out there socially and professionally. I, I'm married to a sixth grade science teacher and, and we mm. were talking when the school year started, he said, none of the children say good morning anymore. And he's had to try mm. to train them as they come in. You know, it used to be they would come in and fist bump him and say hello and good morning. And, and he says, I, I really have, I've, they're, you know, either in their phones or they were behind their masks and no one would even say good morning to each other. So he's been trying to work with them to encourage yeah. some of that communication that is just, you know, what we all need to get along in, in a social society. Now, the, in terms of yeah. body language, I've heard you tell this story and I love it. And if you'll indulge us, um, your time with Tibetan monks, because all you had to rely on was body language to be able to communicate with them. Yeah, I had this uh, really incredible experience that uh, has stayed with me and really shaped uh, my career and who, who I am, that when I was 18 years old, all of my friends were going off to university and I had several places offered to me as well. And I decided to put that all to one side. And I knew that I, I'd had a relatively you know, privileged upbringing. I, I always had food and a roof over my head and I wanted to go and help those who were struggling somewhere else in the world. And so this opportunity came up to go and live with a group of Tibetan monks who wanted to improve their English. And so aged 18, I'd never been on a holiday overseas without my parents before. And yet there I was, I took my rucksack and headed across to Northeast India, up to the foothills of the Himalayas, where I was living uh, in this little town called Kalimpong, which is right next to Darjeeling, where the Darjeeling tea comes from. And uh, I found this little monastery 
uh, there with about maybe 15 monks. And I knocked on the front door and out came the head monk to greet me. And he greeted me in Tibetan. And I remember thinking at the time, uh, wait, hang on a second. So I thought I was here to improve your English, but you don't speak any English <laughs> at all. And then they, they sat me down in the kitchen and they gave me this flask of Tibetan tea, which if anyone's ever tried this, it's not great. It's, um, it's a third tea, a third butter and a third salt. Oh. And there I was drinking this thinking, I can't even tell them that this is not good. And I, I'm supposed to be living here for six months. And as we sat there, a couple of the monks came to join us. And we sat there trying to understand each other. And pretty soon I realized within the space of an hour, I realized that through my body language and my tone of voice, we could understand each other. We could understand a few different important pieces. And so I started to understand, okay, how to tell them, you know, what time we were going to have a lesson and, uh, you know, where I was going to sleep. We started to understand these things. And over the course of six months, I then was able to teach them all how to have a good conversation with me in English. And I learned Nepali, which happened to be the main language uh, of the area. And so I came back fascinated by this, thinking there's so much more to nonverbal communication than most people realize. It really is a language, and it's a language that is universal, that you can use with people around the world from any different age, background, or culture. And that was really what spurred me on with, with wanting to study to be an actor, studying the nonverbal side of storytelling, and then going on to uh, to teach this to clients. Uh, but, but now you're right to say, to come back to what you mentioned about uh, your uh, your husband teaching you know, science at school, I've seen this uh, slight decline um, in people's nonverbal abilities where my wife had her 40th birthday party uh, right at the end of lockdown when nobody had really been out to a social event for well over a year. And uh, we were there, you know, ready to welcome people into our home. And there was a real stilted awkwardness from a lot of the people who just hadn't been to a social gathering in person for such a long time. They'd kind of forgotten how to do it. They didn't didn't know, like, do we do we hug? Do we shake hands? Do we wave? What, what do we do there? And, you know, what do I do then, then? I get a drink and am I supposed to talk to someone? And how do I do this piece? So I think, you know, everybody has... Everybody lost a couple of steps back uh, in their ability there, and it's important for everybody to start to uh, to move forward in those and, and appreciate that you know you, you may know what to say, you may have good information you need to share in a meeting or a conversation, but having that nonverbal rapport with people uh, is is critical in order to build up a, a bond with someone. It really is amazing how quickly. I mean, yes, we did lock down and depending on where you were in the world, you locked down harder or, you know, went remote longer. But I mean, in the space of just, you know, over a year, I found it very interesting how quickly we all became very awkward <laughs> or, or many of us became awkward yeah. with each other and how much we rely on the feedback that we're getting in society from other human beings, not just, you know, those within our families. I mean, it really is critical for, you know, uh, the way we live our lives and, and, and our humanness. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, in some ways it's admirable that human beings are so adaptable that when lockdown first came, I, I remember looking at my wife thinking, how is this going to work? We've got young children to entertain and we can't leave the house apart from maybe going for a walk. And then a couple of months into lockdown, we were thinking, this is great. We don't have to go to five or six 
uh, children's birthday parties every weekend. We don't have to have all the big social commitments. We can just go for a walk and then sit down and watch TV with the kids. This is wonderful. This is nice bonding time. And I must say, you know, the pandemic came at a good time for us. Our children are 10 and seven. So, so that at, at an age where they want to spend time with us and they weren't so confused about what's what's happening. But to think about that in the other direction, as we do start to get back to interacting with more people, you know, we can rely on the fact that as human beings, we are adaptable. But what's worthwhile noting is that we build up our interaction skills for, for meetings and for, for social events over a period of years. And when you're children, you can get things wrong and nobody really minds. We just laugh it off and say, hey, you didn't know, you've never been to a wedding before or whatever it might be. And so now that we're getting back out there, I would encourage people to, uh, to start to do more low risk activities before you do the high risk ones. Mm. So you might want to uh, do, if, if you haven't done many social events, just get back out there with a few friends who you know well, go to a restaurant and have some kind of interaction or invite some people over to your home where you feel at ease, or maybe have a meeting with a couple of colleagues at the office who you know well, and, and you get past the awkwardness before you go to an in-person job interview or before you have to do an in-person talk at the company conference, which your company has insisted is going to be in person. So you've got to build up these skills in a low risk uh, environment. A bit like, I mean, if you imagine this, imagine that you learned how to play tennis 20 years ago and you haven't picked up a tennis racket since. You don't just go back out and play a match competitively. Instead, what you do is you pick up a ball and you, this is what I used to do as a tennis player. You go to, say, uh, the, the, the car park at the, at the, uh, at the tennis courts, and you hit a ball against the wall a hundred times just to check that you can remember how to do a forehand. Then you do a hundred backhands, and then maybe you get on a court and you hit a hundred uh, serves so that you're getting ready for the key interaction that's coming up. Very nice. Yes. I mean, I think you're right. And I think, you know, uh, a good, some of these low risk environments is like, you know, the weddings that are starting up again, uh, the concerts mm -hmm. that people are getting back to uh, the, the small in-person, you know, business to business client kind of meetings and, and with coworkers. So no, I think that's a, that's mm -hmm. an excellent advice. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, how you recharge your creative batteries. I ask all of my guests this, when you are depleted, you've been giving your all to your clients. What is something that you do a habit or something that, um, that helps you kind of recharge? Yeah. So a uh, great question. And one that's really important to me, because like you say, I, I can be, I can be out anywhere around the world, uh, typically in an average year, uh, traveling and teaching people, speaking on stage and because of the travel and often the jet lag, as well as raising two young kids, I can find myself at the end of the day highly depleted. And also because uh, of being highly introverted, uh, being with people, I love being with people, I love teaching people, uh, I love connect with, connecting with them, but classically as an introvert, that means I've drained my energy. So I wanna make sure that I have got my energy fully charged before I start my day. And as we talk to leaders about with communication, we say it's important to lift yourself so that you're ready to lift others. And people may have heard the expression, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before you help others, which I completely agree with. But I've seen some people doing this where they're putting their own oxygen mask on for the next 10 years, and then they'll be ready to lift <laughs> others. And you can't do that. You can't do that as a business owner, as a team leader, you can't do it as a parent. So how do you do it? So for me, there is a critical uh, morning routine uh, that I'm committed to. And my morning routine starts the night before. And so uh, what I'll do is I'll first of all, I'll prepare 
prepare a hot drink. Normally for me, that's hot water and lemon juice or hot water with turmeric and ginger tea. And uh, I make it the night before so that as soon as I wake up, it's there. It's ready for me. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to make a decision about how to start my day. It's there. And I may drink it while doing something meditative for about 15 minutes just to settle my mind down so that I'm in charge of my mind at the start of the day. I've already uh, settled down any thoughts that have been percolating uh, overnight. And uh, then I like to do some exercise of some sort. So, you know, this is something that I found that I can do no matter where I might travel in the world. I might go around so Europe or Asia, Australia, America, and I can be anywhere at any hotel, any location. But wherever I go, I can always take my running shoes. So they may not always have, you know, gym facilities or swimming pools, but I can always take my running shoes. And then what I like to do first thing is I go out and I do a moving meditation, which is where I first of all feel grateful for all the small blessings in my life. So not necessarily like massive wins or huge achievements, but just small blessings to get my mindset set up for gratitude. And then I start to uh, think about that day that month and that year, where would I like things to go? What, what sort of person do I want to be? How do I want to show up for those events? And that maybe takes me, it depends on how long I've got, but maybe 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how early I, I've got up. And then I come back and I also, if I'm, if I'm at home that day, I've made myself a, a smoothie that I made the day before that is ready so I can instantly get lots of uh, nourishment. Again, I don't have to think about that one just in case suddenly I see there's emails or the phone starting to go off and I need to get down to business of, of uh, solving situations for my company. So I know that I'm in charge of that first part of the morning. I've lifted myself so I'm ready through my mindset and my communication to aim to lift other people from there. That's so important. You know, as a journalist, I, I get up in the morning and I, I do a morning show or morning radio show. So my first inclination is to grab my phone and start scrolling Twitter and start scrolling, you know, what's <laughs> happening, what's happened overnight while I'm sleeping. And I'm really trying to implement some sort of a gratitude practice meditation or, uh, you know, some something uplifting at the beginning of the day. You're right, because you can't get those first, that first half hour after you wake up, you can't get it back. And it really does set yeah. you up. Mm. It's such yeah, and we can find that it, if we don't do it, then we can find that we have a day where we start to spiral downwards. Or if we had a bad day the day before or, or, a, or a difficult situation, our mind can wake up, remember it, and suddenly start this downward uh, spiral. Whereas if we take charge for those first few minutes of the day, then we can uh, reset things and start to spiral back upwards for a good hour, a good morning, a good day, maybe even a good week and a good month. So yeah, I'd say it's, it's key to be able to take charge of the day from there. Now, I know you and your team have worked with, you know, over 100,000 people globally on their communication efforts. But is there uh, something that you can tell me uh, that you could pinpoint that has made you the, the proudest? I mean, what is a skill or what is a, a circumstance that you thought, okay, I really am like living my, what I've meant to do with my life. I'm really living my life's work. Yeah. I love this question. And, uh, you know, there, there are some achievements that people might think, okay, well, surely that's the standout one. Like I'm really proud that I've, uh, I've got a book that's done very well. I'm really proud that, that there was a company that came to us struggling to win a pitch and we helped them win a deal one single deal that was worth in the region of $800 million that they weren't going to win before we went in, which is great. But that's actually not, for me, the proudest bit. When, when you ask me that question, my mind goes to, and there's multiple people like this, 
Uh, but my mind went to a lady who we trained in a financial company. And uh, when we went to work with her, she was feeling quite stressed out at work and at home. Uh, she was not performing to uh, her potential, according to herself and to her peers in the company. And uh, after we spent a couple of days with her, uh, we heard from the people around her who we, we'd known that company for a few years. We heard from them that we had really transformed her life, not just professionally, but personally. And uh, we went back to deliver an advanced training session for this group. And I was there uh, just preparing for the day. And people came in saying, she's here, she's coming today. Did you know what's happened to this woman in her life? And I said, no, tell me. They said, you know, your training course transformed her marriage. It's transformed how she feels about raising her children. This has changed uh, how she's performing with clients and just her overall sense of well-being and enjoyment of being alive. And I was thinking back, thinking, didn't we just teach her presentation skills? Like, where, where did this come from? Uh, I'm sure maybe we're just teaching a slide design or something. But actually, what we've always been doing, the way that we approach our, our training work, different to how maybe other people do, is that because this is my background of sort of teaching nonverbal communication and also uh, acting, we really approach things on a physical level where we get people to embody different different parts of themselves, which we call you know, archetypes, which people will be familiar with from storytelling, to say, look, you're not just this version of yourself that is in a small box. And you know, sometimes people arrive at a training session saying, look, this is me. I'm not good at communication. This is who I am. And we say, no, 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 that's a set of habits that you have had uh, throughout your life. You've built up these habits until today. And we're going to try a couple of different habits that expand you into more of who you are. You're not going to become something else. We want to see more of you. And let's try a couple of different habits over here and see how they sit with you. And by doing that, people expand from potentially sometimes falling into a rut to seeing more of who they can be as a human. And by doing that, it can make them feel much lighter, much more uh, energetic and become much more productive. And that for me has been really what has made me feel proud of what we do as a company, that, that each and every day we get to help people find their voice. And by doing so, my, my uh, strap line for my team is always to say, look, let's help tilt the world in a more positive direction. And the more people that we help to find their voice and shine their light, the more that we're able to do that in our little corner of the universe. Wow. Fantastic. And so, so much to be proud of within that. I mean, just improving people's confidence to live uh, their best lives through communication. I love it. Uh, Richard Newman, thank you so much for, for joining us. I, thank you for spending the time. Please tell me how people can reach out to you, where they can find you. Uh, well, the best place to go is UK Body Talk com ukbodytalk.com there's loads of free resources on there you've got uh, videos on there uh, you've also got uh, articles and you can sign up on there from uh, for our newsletter that comes out a couple of times per month with new podcasts and articles and inspiration for you uh, if you're on social media you can find me on LinkedIn uh, that's my the main place you'll find me uh, so I'm Richard Newman from Body Talk on LinkedIn. And finally, if you're on Instagram, you can find me at Richard Newman Speaks. Love it. And I would highly encourage people to read your research at the Journal of Psychology about increasing leadership ratings. Uh, you have a very specific number, 44% by using your techniques. I love it. And uh, you are also author of You Were Born to Speak. Richard Newman, founder of Body Talk. Thank you again for your time. Good evening. 
Thank you. Thanks, Christina. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Richard Newman, founder of Body Talk and author of You Were Born to Speak. If you like these conversations, please subscribe and follow the Power Profile. You can also find me on all the socials. I'm most active on Instagram, where I post Motivational Monday strategies. And you can go to my website, mendonsamedia.com, and subscribe to my newsletter. Reach out for any of your business needs. I'm launching a new initiative based on this podcast. It's called The Power Profile, and it is a video version, a mini documentary on you to increase reputation and reach. It's narrative marketing at its finest, and you can find out more about that at MendonsaMedia.com. In the meantime, be on the lookout for more stories of power right here on the podcast version of The Power Profile. This has been The Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through mendonzamedia.com.